Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. And thank you for listening to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thank you for making a commitment to learning and hope you are doing well. I am joined by the Zanny, Zenas, and hold on, Zypher, Yvonne Brandenburg. I used X words today. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to look these up to know what you just said about me. I can tell you. Hang on. Okay. Or should I just let you stew? No, no, no. I feel like this is a learning podcast. So you may as well tell everybody what you just said about me. All right. So Zanny is a lot of energy and wild. That's because I just um, laugh all the time. That's why you're saying that. Okay. Yep. Zenus is confident, strong woman. Oh, like, and like Zena. Like, yeah, but it's okay. with an X. Okay. Okay. Um, and then what was my last one? Zypher is someone who's an extreme programmer. <laughs> I'm not an extreme programmer, but thank you. <laughs> Close enough. Cause you do all of our <laughs> websites. Of us, yes, I probably am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, when compared funny. to me. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> you like it? I do like it. Yeah. I got to figure out, uh, for you for next week, what your letters will be. We're going to have to keep track of these letters so we don't always use the same ones well i'm assuming that we probably won't ever go back to x again <laughs> so who knows maybe we'll be like it's x and we're like oh we just did it just kidding. yeah i don't think we would make that mistake <laughs> oh well hey girl hey, hey. <laughs> uh, it we're a little bit delirious right now because last week was so crazy um we had uh we had the two webinars which I think they went really well. Um, we have the platelet, platelet webinar, and then we also had the webinar about being a rock star tech. And we did get all of those certificates sent out for emails that we had, but I, I think there's a couple that, because we sent it out. So there was a couple of people, I think that because of technical difficulties had called in. So there's phone numbers, but there's not a name or an email address. So if for some reason you didn't get a copy of your certificate, uh, just send us an email at contact at internal medicine for That'll get to us. And I can just, you know, confirm with you your contact information and, and make sure that we, you know, keep track of your your uh, certificate and get you a copy of it. So um, that's definitely uh, something we can do. And then we did have the raffles last week for Vet Tech Week, which also kept us busy. So we should, I think we announced everybody on Sunday and then uh, we'll be reaching out to you in the next couple of days to get like shipping addresses or emails to make sure that we can get you um, your prizes because there were some pretty good prizes, but there was some good prizes. I'm a little jealous of some of them. I know, right? I was like, wait, <laughs> we didn't get anything. Um, but right? it was it was a fun week. And it was a fun interacting with everybody too. So yeah, definitely. And then we also got a couple new reviews, which is great. First one is from HCAT1000. She <laughs> said, <love> <laughs> he said, he said, they said, they said, amazing and informative. 
I love this podcast. You ladies are a dream to listen to and learn from. I started this podcast this year and learned something new each episode. I've been in GP slash emergency for four years, and this renews my interest and motivates me to get my license. Keep up Yay. the amazing work, ladies. Happy podcast anniversary and Vet Tech Week. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. That was get, very sweet. I know. Get your get your license. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I know. I love when people write things like that because I'm like, dude, that's what the, we did this for was to like yeah. get people wanting to learn again. <laughs> right. I've been there where it didn't matter, and I don't want people to be there. Yeah. Anyway. I totally get you because I've been there too. So I think it's one of those psych cycles of being a vet tech, you know, loving your job and then hating it and then loving it and then hating it and then loving it and hopefully staying For there. sure. <laughs> and then we had another one from Zandra and it's Zandatra says interesting and so helpful being a newcomer to the specialty field altogether, but specifically internal medicine. This podcast has been incredibly helpful. I had to dive back into my textbooks prior to making the transition from GP to IM, but I'm always looking for more info and resources to improve my tech skills slash slash knowledge. This is perfect for that. Thanks so much for making this podcast specifically for us technicians. Aww. Boop, boop, again. You're welcome. These are such great <laughs> reviews. I know. I'm telling you, we're going to get one that's going to be horrible someday, but we're going to have all these other ones to bolster us. Yes. I mean, I hope so because I don't take disappointment well. <laughs> oh my God. You're so funny. It's probably why I'm I, wrong. it's probably why she has an RVT and a VTS and all sorts of things. Because <laughs> I'm neurotic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so this week we, I think we're kind of finishing out our in, immune system. Immune issues. Yeah. So we're doing um, immune-mediated polyarthritis and shifting lameness. Yay! Yes. And this episode is going to be race-approved for one CE hour on the internal medicine for vettexmembership.com website um, under the podcast course. So if you're not a member, sign up, be a member, take the quiz, and then you get one hour of race-approved CE. If you don't want to become a member or are not a member, you can just use this as self-study in most places, but it won't count for race approved CE. Right. Unless you do the quiz. Exactly. And just, um, just a reminder for, cause we've had some people email us with questions about this and I think we're going to work on, on something to kind of help with it. It's a really, it's a really good idea to talk to your place of employment to see if they will pay for the membership for you for multiple reasons. First, because it, it can be part of your compensation package, right? Because it's considered continuing education. Um, it's also considered a professional organization. So there's a lot of reasons why your place of employment should feel comfortable paying for your membership. So you don't have to take it out of pocket. If for some reason they don't, you know, it is a professional organization. So that's one of those things you can talk to your like tax person, you know, when you're, when you have to pay for scrubs and all that stuff. So we're going to, we've kind of talked about it a little bit that we're going to try to come up with something to kind of help with, you know, approaching your employers to get them to, to pay for it. Um, so it's not out of pocket for you. So, so kind of be on the lookout for that, but either way, I mean, We've got some pretty amazing members in there, ranging from still in school, a couple of them, and then others who are getting ready to sit for their boards, for VTS, 
so, you know, there's a wide range of us in there and, and it's, it's a fun community. Um, everybody so far has been very nice, very receptive. We'd, we'd love for you to join. And so just go to internal medicine for vettextmembership.com and you can, you can sign up there or you can point your, point your uh, manager in that direction and have them sign you guys up. So. All right. So this week we're going to be talking immune mediated polyarthritis, or as I call it, IMPA. Yep. IMPA. IMPA. Um, which can be, well, it is idiopathic, non-erosive, non-infectious arthritis. So arthritis of the joints, but it doesn't cause erosion where sometimes on radiographs, you see that like clearly abrased look to either end of the mm-hmm. joint. And this a lot of times is idiopathic, although there can be underlying causes for it. the majority of time it's idiopathic and it's not infectious. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about with IMHA ITP. Is it a primary IMPA or is it secondary? Um, secondary, mm-hmm. just like with those other diseases can be from infectious agents and stuff like that. So what we're going to be really touching on is, is primary IMPA for this episode. The definition for this disease, arthritis means joint. Poly means that many of the joints are affected. So poly means multiple and then immune mediated, we know means that the inflammation is caused by the immune system attacking the joints versus something else attacking the joints. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of this information on our sister website, the internal medicine for petparents.com slash IMPA link is great. It gives you a lot of good information. It's also even better for clients if they want a better understanding as to what their pet is going through, what we're treating, why we're doing the things we're doing. We have a really great handout on there as well, as well to give to clients for this. And if you're in the membership too, if you go to resources, that, that handout is there for you. Or if you're in our newsletter group and you have access to the technician treasure trove, that, that handout is there for you as well. So there's a couple of ways for you guys to get that handout because it's not something super, super common. So sometimes it's really nice to have that, that client education handout. And, and so we created that for you guys. And again, there's multiple ways you can get it to, mm-hmm. you know, help explain what, what a patient's going through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so our traditional arthritis usually involves like a degeneration of the cartilage and the underlying, underlying bone in a joint, which is what I was talking about. So on x-rays, a lot of times we can see where the edges of the bone look just rough, like they've been rubbing mm-hmm. together and they've been abrased. Mm-hmm. This arthritis is different than that. So this arthritis doesn't cause that kind of damage. So immune mediated polyarthritis involves like active inflammation within the joint capsule and the joint fluid. So it's inflammation that causes swelling and pain, but it doesn't cause that degeneration or breakdown. Typically IMPA involves an inflammatory condition within pets joints, most commonly the carpi and the tarsi, which are your wrists and your ankle joints. If you remember good old anatomy and physiology <laughs> 101, right? <laughs> <laughs> Back to the good old days. This inflammation actually occurs when antigen antibody immune complexes. So again, go back to our immune basics where we talk about antibodies and antigens. So these immune complexes that are circulating in the blood, they get filtered by the joint capsule. When this happens, antigens are foreign substances that invade into the body, like we talked about in the basics episode, and antibodies are part of the immune system that are supposed to recognize these foreign substances and mark them as destruction by the immune system. However, what happens in the joint is these complexes can form like big globs 
medical terms here <laughs> that like float around in the bloodstream. And when these complexes get lodged in the joint capsule, instead of being filtered through the immune system will then react to those big globs that are within the joint capsule resulting in inflammation of the joint mm-hmm. within the joint. Yeah. And this is, you're, you're not going to see it just looking at like the fluid, but like on microscopic evaluation, they'd be able to see that and, and see the different types of cells that are in there. And, and I, do you talk about this? Did you put this in later about like how it presents? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I was gonna say, cause this is one of those where sometimes you look at the history and you're like, Oh, <laughs> this has probably been going on longer than you thought. Yes which is key also, but before we <laughs> we'll get, get there, there. We, yeah, we <laughs> will talk about that. And, and it is, you know, IMPA, it's an immune problem. So of course mm. it's gotta be like discreet and annoying. Like, <laughs> like and have all... to rule out all the other stuff before you can say that's what it is. Exactly. Because it can present not like how you would think like an arthritis condition would present. Yep. So there are four types of IMPA. Type one is the most common form. It's idiopathic or immune mediated. Type two is infection associated. So infection can actually trigger an immune mediated response, but it is infected first, but it can lead to long-term IMPA. Yeah. And I think of tick-borne. I think of like tick-borne infection when I think of this. Yeah, exactly. So it's that long-term circulating infection, even though it's been treated with, say, our doxycycline, but they can still have underlying disease for ongoing for a while. Right. Type three is associated with hepatic or gastrointestinal disease. So kind of same thing. I didn't Whenever, even know this was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> the body responds to inflammation. So if we have inflammation in our liver or in our gastrointestinal tract, then sometimes things, those big globs of complexes Mm. can actually start circulating, stemming from there, but then get lodged in the joints. And then the body's like, ha ha ha, you have IBD and IMPA now. So, well, and I think that's, that's like a, so many autoimmune disorders, right? They have quote unquote one, but then eventually they end up with multiple. Right. It's very, it's very common and just goes crazy. Not to like dive into the human realm, but when I was dealing with all my autoimmune issues, they basically told me that once I get one, I'm more likely to develop something else, Mm. which I did, which is why I always find it so interesting when we talk about immune diseases. Cause I'm like, yeah, I went through that. (laughs) Yeah. Like with my dog, you know, she had Evans and then Oh, like a year into it, all of a sudden she got food allergies, which she'd never had before. So it's the immune system obviously is dysregulated. So it makes sense that mm-hmm. the, you know, once the immune system, <laughs> once the immune system says I'm a bad employee, then forget it. it game over. The whole <laughs> <company>. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny too. Cause like, it's just very, typical like the body likes nice balance but then it just goes haywire the moment something like tries to set it off also there so i said there's four types of impa the fourth type is associated with neoplastic causes so any sort of neoplasia because again cancer can do whatever it wants so cancer can trigger inflammation within the joints because again we have those immune complexes forming those big things floating around in the bloodstream So again, the body likes balance Mm -hmm. and whenever it's Mm -hmm. disrupted, 
it can lead to immune issues. <laughs> you mean homeostasis? It likes that. Yeah. Hmm. Who knew? <laughs> right. <laughs> so other triggers could be drugs. So IMPA can develop potentially after administration of certain medications, mm. especially if there's an adver- adverse reaction. Although certain drugs have been reported more often because again, they do all those drug studies for a reason. Right. So drugs such as antibiotics, human albumin, phenobarbital and erythropoietin can potentially lead to development of IMPA. Typically symptoms though improve within seven days of discontinuing these medications. Yeah. It's, it's like removing the source of, of the trigger, right? Yeah. So if, if it is one of these things and you remove it, the body goes, Oh, cool. We don't have it anymore. Exactly. Down. Your antibodies are looking for something to attack, right? Because it doesn't like the fact that you have these drugs in your system, but it gets a little confused because <laughs> we always have that one rogue employee. Who's like, nah, nah, nah. I don't think you guys are right. I'm pretty sure it's over here. <laughs> you're like, no, that is not where it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then the moment you stop the drugs, all the rest of them are like, see, we told right. you. Nice. <laughs> and I then think that someone needs to make a comic strip from all these random, ridiculous, and we could just call it the internal medicine, like comics or something. I don't know. Yes. Somebody really creative should do this. <laughs> Definitely. Mm-hmm. Vaccines can also potentially trigger IMPA. Because vaccines mm-hmm. can trigger a lot of immune-mediated issues. Again, because we're stimulating the immune system. Yep, exactly. So this would present usually within 30 days of vaccine administration. And then the symptoms may also resolve without immune suppression medication. Mm-hmm. So they could go through seeing some of these symptoms of IMPA for about a month or so. But then it resolves as the body kind of calms down from that vaccine. Right. So our favorite part of all of this is obviously our history, how it might present, what we need to ask about, which I put one of the key things that we need to ask about, I think down in the caution or the tip of the week. So I'm not going to touch on that specific thing just yet. Uh, But breed, species, age. So most common immune mediated joint disease in dogs um, would be IMPA. It does occur in cats, but it's a lot less common. And then our medium to large breed dogs are more commonly affected. A lot of times it's also our medium age dogs, which take that with a grain of salt, because that depends on the breed. <laughs> like right. What would make them medium <laughs> age? Pure dogs are more commonly affected than our mixes. However, I have to huh. say, I've seen a lot of mutts, but they're always mixed with these predisposed breeds <laughs> that are listed here. Like clearly mixed with it too. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've got a couple labs. I think of labs. Yeah. yeah. So okay. our dog breeds that are predisposed are Sharpays, Akitas, Lab, Labrador Retrievers, and German Shepherds. So the ones that I've hmm. seen have been German Shepherds or German Shepherd mixes. Hmm. I've seen. I a think bunch I've of labs also seen. It. I think I've also seen um, Bernies with it once. Yeah, I've seen a couple of little fluffy things, which is kind of funny because yeah, they're not medium or large breed. I don't think I've ever seen a cat with it either. I was just thinking about that. I don't think I've ever seen a cat with IMPA. No, I don't think so. I don't see IMPA very often in general. I don't see it super frequently, but I we definitely have a handful of them, which is interesting. Hmm. It's not as common as our other immune-mediated diseases that we see. <laughs> Right. Well, and I wonder too, like if it, because it sometimes can be really difficult to diagnose, 
right? Because of the history. I think this is, I think this might be part of it, right? So when we talk about history, it's one of those, it waxes and wanes, which I think is part of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so you'll get these dogs that it's like, well, you know, they'll, they'll go into the ER and it's like, oh yeah, you know, they were limping on their back leg and they're like, oh, they have arthritis. And it's like, you know, they get some medications, they get a little bit better, but then it's like, oh, now they're, they're, you know, they're, I don't know which leg they're limping on. Like, that's what I hear from clients is like, mm-hmm. yeah, they limp on this one leg, but then it gets better. And then a little bit later, maybe it'll be like a different leg. And so you get this shifting leg mm-hmm. lameness that kind of gets better on its own a little bit, but then it gets worse. And, and it's, and it can be, it can be really deceiving on this and, and they'll get diagnosed with like back pain or just regular arthritis. And so I think that's part of the the hard part of it, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of times too, people assume it might be an injury because it is like, mm-hmm. well, they were limping on their left front at first and then they limped for maybe like three days and then they were better. Mm-hmm. And then I think they must've done something again. Cause then they started limping on their right rear, but they were running out in the yard. And so I, I do think it's very deceiving because it alternates legs and they're not, it's not consistent. It's always, it Mm. always seems to happen after some sort of activity or sometimes it'll just be like, well, they were sleeping and then they got up and they limped for a while. And then it kind of got better over the next couple of days. Like Mm. it's very inconsistent. A lot of times these patients are reluctant or stiff when trying to get up or start walking, especially our older patients, which again, (laughs) yeah. And it's so easy to just be like, well, you have a 12 year old, well, let's say even like a nine-year-old lab. Mm-hmm. And you're like, God, they walk it off. Exactly. Like they or still get up. Getting they're older. just slower to get up. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, it's they're so not easy getting to, older. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy to just blame it on normal arthritis. <laughs> yeah. And then they may just be more painful on one leg or another at varying times, which we talked about. So often the stiffness too can also vary legs as well. Sometimes they'll walk higher on their toes. I've always called this like they have a a way of like walking on eggshells. It's like almost like they're Mm tiptoeing. They also can change their head carriage just to try to like redistribute the weight. um, Mm -hmm. And they can step gingerly where a lot of people will also think that they've hurt their paws or their toes. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case as well. And then depending on the severity of inflammation, this will lead to pain and often swelling of the joints, which sometimes that swelling can be very, very, very visible mm-hmm. where even the, the clients know it, but yeah, I've seen not I've seen all the time, pretty puffy joints before. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you, when you manipulate these joints too, it's painful. These patients mm-hmm. will typically react in severe cases. There also will be usually a fever and then just systemic, like just lethargy and blah. They don't want to move around. Yeah, we've, but fever is a big one. I was going to say we've diagnosed, well, we've diagnosed relapses actually on some of our patients because their temps start going up. And so it's Mm -hmm. one of those, like, if you look in the history and there's been these temperature elevations, but they go like, everybody kind of blows it off and they're like, oh, they were really excited when they came in or something like that. You might notice it, but a, a fever, you know, and multiple legs or back pain or something like that it check the feel the joints because it could be that they're puffy yes and especially with the back pain thing like yes it does more commonly affect like the wrist and the ankles but it can affect the neck and the back because those are Um, joints (laughs) what what 
I didn't know that. We actually had one. They w- it was a dog that had like the really curly tail over the back. I can't, it was a mixed oh, yeah. breed. And the owners noticed that um, probably a Sharpay mix. It could have it could have been a Sharpay mix, although it didn't look like a Sharpay otherwise. Um, but the the owners were noticing that they would stop holding their tail up mm-hmm. in the air when they would stop wagging it when they were having like a flare up or a relapse. So that's something too. Like we don't think of that as a traditional joint, but you know, it is. And so, you know, that might be something depending on the dog, you know, maybe they're, they're wagging Mm -hmm. their tail less, or they're holding their tail less, you know, or they might seem sensitive on the back end. So it's just, it's hard because, you know, there's all these little subtle things with our IMPA patients that we need to look for. Um, Like sometimes they'll do the like licking of their wrists excessively. Like if, especially if you know, they have IMPA, the owners might say, well, now they're starting to lick more. And you're like, Ooh, let's check the joints out. Make sure they're not having like a flare up. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times too, people might not notice this. They're always like, sometimes people will be like, well, they've always done that, but it's like excessive staining, especially in our white dogs Mm. on their wrists or their ankles. Mm -hmm. So that can be an indicator. Sometimes they'll have a decreased appetite because again, if you hurt all over and it hurts to walk, you're not going to want to get up and walk to eat. Mm-hmm. And then muscle atrophy can definitely occur because same thing. If we're lethargic not and we don't really want to walk and move a whole lot, we're going to lose our muscle pretty quickly, especially the older we are. And then um, lymphadenopathy can actually occur too because same thing like inflammation within the body can make our lymph nodes get a little bit bigger. Yeah. Some of the differential diagnoses that we have to rule out, right, in order to say, yes, this is a primary IMPA, obviously injury is the biggest one because we're talking about joints. So, you know, x-rays may need to be taken or manipulating, checking for like a drawer sign or any of those things just to see, you know, did they injure themselves? We want to make sure that there isn't an infection. So both within the joint. So we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about this in diagnostics, but we want to rule out a bacterial or a fungal infection within the joint causing the problem. We want to rule out systemic infections. So bacterial, fungal, viral, parasites. Um, The biggest one is tick-borne disease. So Borrelia, Anaplasma, Rickettsia, Ehrlichia, those are kind of the big ones that can set off IMPA. Heartworm disease, because again, that also sets off the immune system. Skin, like chronic skin allergies, dental disease, because again, we're talking inflammation, we're talking bacteria. And then- bodies just circulating everywhere. Exactly. And then you've got your other systemic immune-mediated diseases, especially systemic lupus erythematosus. I feel like SLE can set off all sorts of things in the body, but they can have SLE and have IMPA. And then IMHA and ITP can also, which I really hope you don't have a patient that has IMHA, ITP, and IMPA. That sounds or even horrible. just one or the other and IMPA, like that would still suck. <laughs> like, cool, like, ah, I can't make, cool. I can't, can't make red anything. blood cells, but <laughs> I can't walk either. So what do I need the red blood cells for? Right. It keeps me quiet. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. It keeps me from walking around. So my joints don't hurt. <laughs> and then of course, cancer can do whatever it wants. So carcinoma, um, seminomas, Sertoli cell tumors, or Leo. Leomyoma. Leomyoma. Yeah. The one word I know more, like better than you. 
<laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I mean, it, again, cancer, cancer sets off all sorts of problems in the body. So and I got to say on the differential list though, because before we actually get to the diagnostics, osteosarcoma should be on there as well, because sometimes they will be Ooh, limping or you see swelling yeah. near yeah. a joint and it's very, very painful. So osteosarcoma should also go on here. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a very good point. Especially in old labs or old large breed dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Wah, wah. You take the x-ray and you're like, Ooh, okay. I know. Well, not I don't miss doing that. I haven't seen an osteosarcoma since I was in GP. <laughs> I mean, I see our oncology department with osteosarcomas, but I don't have to deal with them. Yeah. It's such a sad thing. We're like, let's take an x-ray and be hopeful, even though you already know, because it's already like a huge softball. Ooh. Yeah. We had, we had one that transferred to us a long time ago. Um, we thought it was an osteosarcoma, but it actually ended up being fungus. And so, oh, cool. yeah, it had like, it had eaten through the bone like osteosarcoma. But I don't the cool remember. thing was once we treated it, the bone actually kind of regrew Healed. a little bit because again, it's not being destroyed because of bone problems. It's being destroyed by fungus, which was a trip to see. I think we, did we talk about this at some point that you can like aspirate bony masses to see if it's an osteosarcoma or not? Because not all bony masses are osteosarcs. I'm sure you can, but that sounds horrible. I've learned about this before. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever talked about it. I don't, think, I don't know. We may have touched on it at some point, but not. But not if it already I hurts, I mean, I'm going off right now, but if it already hurts because it's potentially a bone tumor. Yeah. How much worse can an aspirate of it hurt? Uh, I think that would hurt a lot because it's already sensitive. So well, I, I'm saying giving drugs. Um, we're I think doing blocks before blocks or, you know, anesthesia or sedation, depending on the animal and pain meds. But I think too, I th- think one of the issues with doing an aspirate, it just depends on how bad the bone is. You know, you're mm-hmm. poking a hole into something that's already a problem. Like how many, you know, osteosarcs are diagnosed by a broken bone. Yeah. So I think, I mean, again, I work in internal medicine, so I'm not aspirating a bone. Well, I do bone marrow aspirate, but not one that looks like cancer. <laughs> like, nope, that's not me. <laughs> no, you're like, you got to go around the corner and down yeah. the hall. <laughs> Different department. Thanks guys. Bye. <laughs> anyway, moving on off of my tangent on osteosarcs that I also, again, haven't seen since <laughs> what year? 2004. 14. <laughs> so nice. lucky. No, just kidding. Right. Our diagnostics that we do, I mean, come on now. We work for internal medicine. So CBCs, everything, <laughs> <laughs> all the blood work, right? Which I didn't even list all the blood work because I knew we were just going to get into it. Um, CBCs can show a neutrophilia and leukocytosis, which just indicates general inflammation. Mm-hmm. Biochemistries can definitely be normal because a lot of times, unless they're battling something like IBD or hepatitis, they can have some liver changes. But if we're talking idiopathic IMPA, usually yeah. that biochemistry is normal. But if glucocorticoids have already been started, we need to remember that mild liver enzyme elevations can occur. Yeah. I was going to say, um, but just like diagnosing IMPA, your chemistries should be normal. You shouldn't see changes in there. That's not going to be because of IMPA. No, we definitely need to do tick-borne testing. So especially PCR Mm -hmm. testing, just to rule out all of the tick-borne diseases that we talked about a little bit ago, Mm -hmm. because that's really important 
again, the joys of immune mediated diseases is we need to rule everything else out first. Right. Which also includes something. the um, ultrasound of the abdomen and the thoracic x-rays to make sure there's no cancer anywhere. Right. And then typically we're going to do radiographs of these specific areas, not just of our chest looking for mets, but radiographs of specific areas. And these can indicate soft tissue swelling, but also you're going to rule out erosive joint disease mm-hmm. because. Yeah. We usually take at least one joint picture, the, whichever one happens to feel like the most painful that at that particular time, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll just make sure to rule out that it's not, you know, horrible arthritis eroding the joints, but yep. yeah. Or even like osteomyelitis. Mm-hmm. Um, Osteosarcoma. <laughs> yeah. <brought> it up. <laughs> yep. yep. So the diagnostic of choice though would be arthrocentesis, which I am not a fan of. But really? I'm not. I don't mind them. I have some really cool pictures. I can share the cool pictures. Sure. I think because my joints hurt, I'm like, uh. Well, I mean, they're not awake when you're doing this. Like I know. You're giving them good drugs. I know, but I still don't like it. I don't like you're ta- Wait, okay, hold on. You were just like, how much more could it hurt if we <laughs> aspirate osteosarcoma? But you're like, oh my God, sticking a needle into a joint. Okay, well, like, let's be- That doesn't let's even be- make sense. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jordan. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. First off, I think mm-hmm. I heard about the osteosarcoma aspirates at a lecture somewhere. I've never actually done that. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. You've never done it, so it doesn't squeeze you out as much. I heard about it. slash read about it and then arthrocentesis I have assisted with and I just don't like it I find it I don't like bone marrow aspirates very often either like I don't see I think arthrocentesis to me is is way less invasive and because you're I agree you're not really you're not going through the bone you're going through the joint space I would do Um, an arthrocentesis over a bone marrow aspirate oh for sure (laughs) like any day yeah yeah. Because also with a bone marrow aspirate, you like run the risk of breaking <laughs> said limb, especially and in small it, patients. And it's oh, just creepy. Bleh. Yeah. It is. Uh, like, but we're not doing that for this. <laughs> that was for our other topic. last two <laughs> diseases we talked about. But the arthrocentesis, it, the thing to remember about that is ideally you're doing this on two or more joints. You know, if your client... If your client really has financial concerns, you know, maybe you do two or more, but you only submit one joint for cytology and hope that you get an answer on that. If you don't, you might have to submit the other um, sites, but you want to make sure that you get more than one site because there are studies that show usually like 80% or more, you're going to have the classic stuff that they're looking for, for an IMPA in more than one joint. Occasionally it's like in one joint. And so the, the joints that we usually do is going to be the Hawk. So the Hawk is super common. You do Tarsus or um, Carpi, but I feel like the Hawk is probably the one that Mm -hmm. we do the most. Yeah, for sure. And you want to do the sterile, right? So we clip and clean, do a sterile prep, and then the doctors have sterile gloves on. They go into the joint. They get joint fluid. The joint fluid sometimes will look funky. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't look like a pretty 
clear, viscous fluid. And um, typically you're getting be... more fluid than you would normally get on the normal joint. Like that's one of the indicators too, is actually drawing out a bit a of large fluid. volume of fluid. Yeah. <laughs> large versus just like could be cloudy. Uh, yeah. Um, normally it's kind of got that sticky viscous thing going on and it could be like runny and you're like, Oh, so there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things. So we usually do slides, you do quick slides, and then you'll put some, we put some in a sterile top tube for cytology. So we have mm -hmm. smears and cytology, and then we'll put a little bit on a culturette because we want to culture to make sure there's not bacterial or fungal infections. And you want to do that during that initial diagnosis. And then ideally on some rechecks, obviously not every recheck are you doing this. Most of the times you're, the doctors are just feeling joints to see how they feel. Plus, you know, are they, you know, history, are they limping or are they, you know, feeling good, eating really well? Cause ideally they start feeling better and they move around more, but you know, at, at some point, if you're, you know, decreasing medications or you're worried about a flare-up, you might have to do like a repeat arthrocentesis. So that's just something to to warn your clients about, that it's not like an arthrocentesis one and done. They may have to do multiples of those. Yep. So treatment for these guys is pretty standard for some of our immune-mediated cases. Right. <laughs> it's just very keep going with what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go back and listen to the last two episodes because we talk in detail about these medications. So I'm just going to kind of skim over them. Um, but a lot of this therapy is supportive and then immune suppressing. So we want to do supportive care by treating with our pain medications and just trying to make these patients comfortable. But we want to also do some immune suppression. Um, glucocorticoids like our prednisone or prednisolone is our top choice. And a lot of patients are actually managed pretty well with this and this alone, especially, I guess, depending on how soon like, you find it. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that initial initial diagnosis. So the problem is too, right. Depending on when you catch it, like, have they been seeing, like in our case, have they been to the primary vet or like the emergency clinic? Right. Mm -hmm. And they get transferred to us and they're on an NSAID. Yeah. I have right? that done in my caution. Yeah. So then we have to like wean them off the NSAIDs, get another pain medication on board, wait, you know, the three day washout. Right. Mm -hmm. And then start the steroids. But a lot of, but you're right. You know, a lot of times when we can start those high doses of steroids, um, that inflammation goes away and they're less painful, but we usually try to do at least a week's worth of like pain meds. Yeah. Um, and we do like gabapentin, mm -hmm. tramadol, although, you know, there's, there's that whole question of whether or not tramadol really helps with pain anymore. Yeah. We do mostly just gabapentin. Yeah. Um, because no insights can't do insights. Yeah, exactly. Other medications that can. So when I say supportive medications, though, too, I'm not really talking our antibiotics and things like that, because when I'm thinking true IMPA, I'm thinking idiopathic, sterile, we don't need antibiotics. Mm. So mm -hmm. these patients aren't on antibiotics. However, if we've diagnosed a tick-borne disease, of course, these patients are going to go on things like doxycycline as a supportive medication to battle that in order to make the inflammation in the joints better. Right. Yeah. So again, I'm talking type one though. Other gluco or other immune suppressing drugs would be things like azathioprine. Cyclosporin is again, our go-to in IM. Um, <laughs> right. 
leflunamide. Sometimes we'll use a combination of these drugs, just depending on the severity of the case. And then of course our pain medications, like we already talked, talked about, and then pain, pain medications can also eventually be just kind of PRN as needed. So if mm-hmm. patients are having a bad day, especially because we all are going to have those clients who aren't going to really want to spend money on maybe cyclosporin, or they don't like the side effects of prednisone. So we need to kind of help keep these animals comfortable in a different way while also educating our clients that the medications that are going to help long-term are going to be things like our glucocorticoids and our cyclosporin because pain medications are kind of just a band-aid. We're not fixing anything. We're just making things comfortable. Right. Cause I mean, I, the idea is we want to suppress the immune system, right? That's, that's why we do these drugs. So it stops attacking the joints and you know, like, like what Jordan's saying is these patients can have flare-ups and, and we don't always know what causes the flare-ups. You know, it could be the classic, they went to the dog park cause they felt better, but they overdid it and now they're painful. Or it could be, they're actually having a flare-up of the IMPA, you know, for whatever reason, whether that's, they've got something else inflammatory going on in their body, which, you know, messes with the immune system, or we've been tapering drugs you know, and they're coming out of remission or hopefully not this, but clients not following directions and like just stopping medications because they don't know they need to refill. So I think, you know, just, just client education really on this one is a big one. Um, because I feel like clients are always like, well, I don't see anything wrong with them except for the limping. Well, the limping's gone. So why do I still need to do these medications? And you're like, well, because if you don't, it could come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? My favorites when they're like, well, they only limp really bad when it's cold outside. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> well we're only going to do the drugs when it's cold outside or in the winter. And yeah. Like, the other thing too, no. is like when they go, well, they're not painful. Okay. Well, do they limp? Well, yeah. Well, do you limp when you're not painful? And then they go, oh, like, yeah. Point one if, veterinary technician. <laughs> if, they're, if they're limping, it's because they're painful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, Client communication yeah. is huge in these patients, yeah. in all immune patients. But with IMPA, 30 to 50% of these dogs may relapse, which is a pretty high percentage. Kind of crazy. Yeah. So again, kind of continuous drug therapy and communication with our clients too. We want to call and check in with these pe- these people and be like, Yo, how's Fluffy doing? Mm-hmm. Maybe not yo. <laughs> yo, this is Jordan. <laughs> That's exactly how I talk to my clients. I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we want to be like, well, have they had any bad days in the past month? Have they limped even just once? Mm-hmm. Like for one day, have they limped at all? Like what was different that day? Were they more active? Did they go to the groomer? Did they go, were they boarded? We really want to talk with these, these people and these clients. So that way we know too. Maybe if, you know, we know that these dogs are going to be at doggy daycare all week, all week this week, maybe we can talk to our doctor or they can, you know, modify the drugs and increase it for tough times that we know might be ahead. We want to talk to these clients, you know, these, these patients require long-term drug therapy. Mm. It is not a one and done for the first month because as soon as the limping is resolved, yeah. we don't come off the meds. I feel we like want to most discuss of side my effects. patients it's kind of a lifelong thing. I feel at least some low dose of something I feel like is lifelong Mm -hmm. because, because again, we have these huge percentages of them that are relapses. So I just, 
yeah, I feel like that, that part's the hardest part is them understanding that this could be for the rest of your pet's life. Well, then I'm trying to get them to understand though, too, that like, if we come off drugs and we, we relapse, it might be worse than the first time and harder to control. Yeah. And harder to get back under control. Once we restart the meds, it's not a simple, just like, Oh, well, we'll just start giving the bread again. Like, no, like it might not be that easy. Right. Yeah. Your dog might be in extremely uncomfortable. I was going to say part of, part of the thing too, with that is, you know, monitoring the clients are monitoring at home, keeping track of things. So like the journal is a great option for that. They can keep track of how they're doing in the last six months. You know, ideally, like ideally we get to the point where they come in once a year or once every six months for rechecks because they're doing well. Um, and so, you know, that, that is the goal is that, you know, we're going to lowest effective dose of any of these medications. Like I have one patient who is, you know, it's, it's like maintained on atopica low dose one capsule, like twice a week, <laughs> like yeah, barely spitting and then at maybe them. Gabapentin PRN. Yeah. yeah and, and they barely use the gabapentin, like it, the, the twice a week dose is enough for that pet. So it's great. You know, it, it is, the goal is to get them again, lowest dose possible. Right. And the, and the nice thing about IMPA versus like IMHA ITP, like the rechecks most of the times are physical exams. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like you and don't it's have like to do when a they CBC. do relapse. You're like, I'm doing a physical to see if you've got puffy joints. So yeah. And if they do relapse, it's not normally like as critical as like an IMPA <laughs> or, or an ITP or an yeah. IMHA because it's not like holy cow, their PCV's 10. Yeah, you know. Now we got to do some life-saving measures. This is just like, no, he can't get up. It's like, funny that just... you say that because I don't know if I've ever hospitalized a pet for more than like a day for IMPA. Mm-hmm. It's usually because we're trying to figure out what it is. And then as yeah. soon as we say, oh yeah, it's IMPA, most of the times they're good to go home. But like yeah, everything it's just else a lot of client communication is like, you got a week in the hospital. <laughs> well, that and like, again, cause like when they crash, it's more just about quality of life. Yeah. Maybe they've been struggling really hard with the IMPA mm-hmm. and just limping and very painful versus like, I mean, IMHA is very like live or die. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And that, that too is, is another great thing to tell clients is quality of life, right. But for any mm-hmm. of these immune mediated diseases, and giving them a quality of life handout is awesome too, because they can, again, track it, whether that's on their calendar, in a spreadsheet, whatever they do, or if they want to use the journal, you know, they can, they can keep track of the quality of life of these patients and have that, you know, more objective conversation with the veterinary team instead of being very subjective and being like, eh, I guess he's not doing as well. And you're like, actually, he's doing the same as last time. So you know, giving them tools to have that conversation with you is also really big. Well, and if we keep track of it though, too, Mm -hmm. we like, if we're talking to these clients on a monthly basis, we can be like, you know, for the past three months, you've been like, we've adjusted meds and nothing's really working. And like, how do you feel at home? Like now he's not eating. Like, what do you think the quality, like we can Mm -hmm. facilitate the conversation. conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We got to talk about side effects of medications with these clients. We've talked about this a million times, so I'm not going to touch on it too long, but mm-hmm. because of things like prednisone, prednisolone, cyclosporine, azathioprine, leflunamide, we need to talk with clients like 
wear gloves with some of these drugs. Some mm. of these drugs, we're going to have to recheck CBCs. Some of these drugs can call, cause Cushing's diabetes. Some of these drugs can cause <laughs> hair loss, GI upset. You know, there's always like the long list of side effects right. that are almost longer than the dog limping. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, and then, so that, that kind of plays into the rechecks too. Like, are we going to have to recheck lab work due to some of the medications we're on? Mm. If, if we're only on pred, then we might not have to recheck lab work or cyclosporin, but we might have to recheck some of those arthrocentesis procedures mm-hmm. and then compliance is key with treating these patients. And then I did want to mention though, cause this was a pretty big point and you kind of touched on it briefly already, but a caution for me for these patients is medication history is key mm. because we really do. These patients do require glucocorticoids, but we really want to ensure that they have not had recent NSAIDs. And if they have how long ago since the last dose, mm-hmm. just so we can adequately prepare when to start this patient on glucocorticoids and stop the NSAIDs. We need a washout period there. So we don't cause gastric ulcers. I was going to say that's, that's the big key, right? We don't want to have steroids and NSAIDs at the same time because I've unfortunately seen it right where it's like they stop one and then the next day they start the next drug. Well, and we need to make it clear that Yeah. And we need to make it clear to these clients. So like, yes, we're stopping this drug, but that doesn't mean that like, yes, we're starting this one, but just because you see a day of limping, you don't go back and you give that insight. I need you to hide that NSAID where you don't remember where you put it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) This is not your go-to drug anymore. Don't use it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it personally, I think it's even better if they just bring it into the clinic. So I'm like, so there can be no mix up because like uh, clients don't know that it's an NSAID, like, you know, our carprofen versus our gabapentin. They just know that, well, I was prescribed this for limping for fluffy. This is the pain medication. And you're like, nah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then three days later, my dog's vomiting. Right. <laughs> So I, I, I'm a pretty big stickler on making sure that clients are aware. I mean, we have it on our drug labels for any sort of glucocorticoids that we're like, do not give with NSAIDs. But again, clients don't always know what an NSAID is. Right. They're like, it doesn't say it's an NSAID, so I can give it. Uh, yeah. Clients love them and hate them, right? <laughs> yep. But that's what we're here for. Client education. Yes. I like, well, not only that, but I really like the Plums Veterinary handouts. Yes. Because it, it doesn't just say and says it specifically says like such as blah 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 blah. So that's always yeah. a that's always a good one, you know. Not that clients read it because I don't read it for my own medications all the time, but <laughs> but we want to give them the information because there are clients that definitely do read it, which I've, oh, I kind sure. of like those, you know. Well, and a lot of times if they know that we've discussed it with them they might be a little bit more keen to read it mm, yeah, and just kind of brush up on it and be like, like, Oh no, yeah. No what did they talk about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the tip of the week. <laughs> I think, I think this is Jordan's like big one, this tip of the week. Cause, <laughs> cause I think she, is this a soapbox? Maybe. Can you tell? This might be a, a Jordan soapbox. <laughs> tip of the week this week. Keep tabs on these patients with monthly follow-up calls. Mind you, I like to taper my follow-up calls. So yeah. I'll do a next day, maybe 10 days later, then two weeks later, 
And as long as everything is going well, then I stretch it out to once a month kind of thing. Maybe even once a month and a half, two months, depending on how things are going. But what this does is this opens the door for these clients to be able to call us. So if we're calling, following up and actually, you know, informing these clients that we really do care about your pet and how we're doing and how you're handling the medications Mm. and what symptoms or side effects you might be seeing from said medications. And we actually show these clients that we care they're going to call us with subtle changes. So they're going to call us and say, you know, and and they might not even freak out, which was great because we want to reduce the freak out. We don't want them calling us, you know, the moment they start limping, we want them calling us. Or they're like, they won't get up anymore. And you're like, ah, exactly. Uh. Because you know how many times that happens where like Mm -hmm. they call and then it's like, yeah, so-and-so is not walking anymore versus like if they call and say, Hey, you know, it's been almost 48 hours of limping. Like we didn't change anything, nothing, you know, they can initiate the conversation because we've talked to them about what to look out for, how long things should last and what changes they might see, especially with these patients. These signs might be very subtle and these patients are better managed if relapses are caught early on. Yeah. So even things like, you know, Bosco felt warm today. Maybe he has a fever. Like, okay, cool. Let me get you on our recheck schedule for tomorrow. Yeah. Well, and we've even, we've even had patients where when we are doing that close monitoring, right. And they say, oh, they're limping a little bit. Well, we just did a dose reduction. So, you know, you don't have to come in, just go back to the old dose, maybe do that for a little bit longer and then we'll try it again. So sometimes it catches it so they don't have to come in and we can just talk to the doctor and get the recommendation on, you know, do we go back up one, one step or, you know, kind of what, what it is instead of getting to the point where they really do need to come in because they're having a severe, you know, relapse kind of thing. So. Exactly. And then even if it is just a subtle limp, like, okay, cool. Give the cap give the gabapentin, let's do, let's increase the dose of gabapentin, make sure we're giving it two to three times a day, see if that helps. If it doesn't help, call me in 48 hours and we might adjust things, especially if we hadn't made a medication adjustment previously. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it just opens the communication and it helps clients. Like they're not coming in for their rechecks when, you know, things are, are going south. They're, they're talking to us on the phone and they can modify and we can modify or the doctors can modify on an as needed basis. Yeah. Yeah. And now for the question of the week. Uh, So our question of the week for this week is what are some tools that we can help provide to manage our IMPA patients? Um, You know, we, we do have that client handout, so that can help. But if you know of something that's different that you think might make things a little bit easier, just let us know. We'd be happy to create things for you guys. <laughs> Cause I feel like that's, I do that's like what creating. Jordan and I love doing. <laughs> that I do. So definitely answer the question of the week, uh, either in the Facebook group or in the membership in the, the podcast, uh, forum. And we'll put up the link for the CE certificate in the membership for you guys. And then, um, you know, just let us know if you need anything else. We, we, we like providing stuff for you. And then I think this is the last in the immune system for now, right? I think we kind of yeah, switch then, gears a little bit. And then we go kind of back to endocrine. Everybody loved endocrine. Yeah, so. I was going to say, endocrine, everybody's like, endocrine, I love it. Yeah, so this will be this will be kind of nice because it'll tie in a little bit to some of the stuff I did for, for my presentations at my works conference this 
what was it? Two it's going to be a great transition. So <laughs> spoiler alert, we're going to do like endocrine into neuro, endocrine into neuro. <laughs> like, yep. So next week we'll be kind of bouncing back a little bit into endocrine. We're going to talk about diabetes insipidus. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll keep going. pituitary gland. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably a good idea to go back and listen to some of our basics for endocrine which we just realized we don't have any basic episodes to listen to. So we may, once we kind of get through this batch that we got race approved, we'll probably do some more. I think we could, I definitely think we could do like a basics on endocrine. Um, I mean, like how it works. Cause we did talk about it, you know, during the diabetes episode and the Cushing's, the Cushing's episode. episode. Um, so we did talk about like feedback loops and stuff like that. So you know, those will definitely help with some of it. And we'll, we'll talk about it more with next week's episode. All right, Jordan. That is all folks. Anything else? Like, do we nope. have to cover anything this week? I think, I think <sighs> we touched on a lot of it. Happy vet, belated vet tech week, or just happy week. If you're listening to this in a random time of year. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you guys are being safe, sane, you know, keep getting your, your, your learn on and be that rock star tech that we know each and every one of you are because you're listening to a podcast about veterinary medicine. So you're up in your tech game as it is. Thank you everybody who joined us in the last two weeks of crazy with, with webinars and, and raffles, raffles, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. So we'll, we'll be, we'll let you know when other things come up and you can always uh, look on our websites to see what we've got going on at any particular time. We'll keep those updated and um, all right, I guess that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.